Hello and welcome to Giant Mess, a sloppy sports and entertainment talk show that covers New York Giants football, Mets baseball, movies, and TV shows, along with some funny stories and life lessons along the way. It's hosted by a giant mess. That's me, the real cinch Neil Lynch. I'm a former college quarterback and pitcher turned current over analyst. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the Mets sweeping the Phillies in a three-game set and flushing and then getting swept by the Toronto Blue Jays over the weekend. We'll break down each game, each series, and we'll take a look at uh, some cool stats that I'd like to hand your way. Should we be crying? Should we be shedding tears over the state of the Mets 60 games into the season? I say nay. And I'll give you I'll give you yet more reasons why you shouldn't lose faith and you should continue to believe. Remember, we gotta. We gotta believe. You gotta believe. I gotta believe. Because without belief and without faith and without hope, we got. I have nothing, truthfully, except my daughter. We'll also talk about the New York Giants. We can finally close the book on DeAndre Hopkins, that fantasy of him coming to the football squad. And we'll tell you why the New York Giants bowed out of that sweepstakes, quote unquote. Leslie Frazier. Former Bills DC visited? What does that mean? There's one player on the roster who's the most likely trade candidate. I I can hear you screaming through the speakers. I know you know that I know that you know, but we're gonna talk about it anyway. There's some NFL futures picks, some playoff odds and predictions uh, related to the Giants that I think we should touch upon. We should touch it and play around with it. There's some observations from OTAs, some cool observations that I think uh, you can either really overemphasize and get way too excited about, or we can just say, we take it with a grain of salt. Say, hey, okay, that's interesting, but I'm not gonna like live and die by these observations. They're just just nice little uh, appetizers, you know? You don't get too full on them. And then we'll talk about Daniel Jones' contract incentives, which were finally revealed. That might be my favorite part of the Giants section. And that will be at the tail end of the Giants section. So without further Ben McAdoo-doo, let us get it started up in here. New York Mets, they like to give us some highs and they like to give us some lows. And they gave us the the highest of highs and the lowest of lows all in a friggin' week. You can't ask for more than that. (laughs) you can't say the Mets aren't toying and playing with your emotions. You can't say that they aren't uh, giving you a full, the full spectrum of emotions felt. I mean, I love beating up on the Phillies. There was a time where we could not beat the goddamn Phillies to save our lives. And they made our lives a living hell in the mid 2000s, late 2000s. I'd like to say that without the Philadelphia Phillies in existence, Maybe we go in the playoffs. Maybe we get to a World Series. Maybe we get a goddamn ring. But no, it's because of the Phillies, and I guess you could say the Brewers, and even the Marlins, that the 2007-2008 Mets will forever go down and hit... Okay, we're not going down that path. Let's get out of there. Get out of there, dude. What are you doing in there? Get out of there. Get out of the tool shed of darkness. We are having some pretty good success against Philadelphia. Last year, I think we were 16-4 and four or something like that. This year, we're off to another great start. And uh, does it matter? I don't know. <laughs> the Giants can't beat the Eagles 
My Eagles fan friend holds that over me no matter how many fucking Super Bowls we win. It feels good to beat the Phillies, but when you see them going to the World Series, you're kind of like, can we just maybe maybe switch spots? A little body swap? A little Freaky Friday? Uh, game 1, May 30th. Uh, I was recording while that was going on. Kodai Senga got the victory, got the win. Seven innings pitch, zero earned, one hit, no walks. That's the big stat. Goose egg in the walk division. Nine Ks, 84 game score. Francisco Lindor gave, gave us a home run, and Eduardo Escobar knocked in Starling Marte. And with that, we went to nil. Kodai Senga now has the most strikeouts through a Mets uh, pitcher's first 10 career games. Uh, third most, my apologies. First, the doctor, the good doctor, Dr. K. Dwight Gooden with 80. Nolan Ryan, the Ryan Express, with 74. Senga at 70, tied with the Two-Face. I'm sorry. The Dark Knight, Matt Harvey. So uh, you, this is kind of where we're at. Kodai Senga, that stat line, and this week in Kodai Senga, if you will, is just a microcosm of what the Mets have experienced in all of 2023. We see the potential, right? We flash it. Hey, look over here. Ooh, ooh. We flash the potential. But then we can't, but then we take, it's like that uh, Paul Abdul song with the friggin' fox or the wolf, two steps forward, one step back. So we're not even taking two steps. We're taking one step forward, one step back. And we're right where we started. <laughs> you know, it's like, we're just, I think I still smell progress. I don't know if you guys can or will. It seems like most of the Mets fan base is just like uh, really torn up about this whole start to the season. I just like to say it could be a lot worse. You give you look at our stats and our rankings, and we'll get into it later on in the episode. But you would think that we were like 19 and 31 or something like that. 19 and 41. I, I don't know. But you would think that we were like 10 games below 500, and maybe we should be. So the fact that we are 500, as many have said, is a modern day miracle. We're turning water into wine over here, and you need to get on board with that. So that Senga stat line, you figure, oh, he's gotten over the hump. He's not walking dudes anymore. He's 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 reeled it in, reeled it in. You know, he's he's gotten control. And uh, we'll see. Uh, in his outing against the Blue Jays, not exactly the case, but. So how did the offense fare? Pretty well, you know. Uh, Starling Marte, who scored the 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 second run, two for three. Uh, Lindor obviously with the home run. Uh, Nimmo left three on base. McNeil left two on base. But overall, uh, a nice solid outing. Now, if we don't get that quality start from Senga, we're we're pointing at the offense. And we're like, what the hell, offense? Where are the bats? The bats have gone quiet. What the fuck? But we get that quality start from Senga, and people are not talking any any about it as much. Something like fifteen and zero when our pitcher goes six innings or more just hasn't happened a lot. But when it happens, we win. Ottavino and Robertson. Robertson gets his ninth save. Ottavino uh, comes in and walks one, but strikes out one. So the bullpen does their job. Fantastic. Move on to Wednesday, game two against Philly. We win four to one. Mark Canna. Two for three with a home run, four RBIs and a run. You know, we talk so much about Mets killers. 
you know, Pat the Bat. Uh, it's it's mostly dudes that are like not exactly tearing up the league. You know, they're not really known throughout the league as being these guys that are killers for other teams, but they're just, and that's why they're kill Mets killers. They just kill us. And like, have we ever had a guy that is uh, the flip mode of that situation where it's like, do we have a Phillies killer? Do we have a Marlins killer? Do we have a Nats killer? Do we have a Braves killer? I can't really name any off the top of my head. Well, it turns out we got one and we didn't even know it. Mark Hanna is our Phillies killer. <laughs> the guy, when he sees the Phillies, he goes, he turns blood red and just goes ape shit on Philadelphia. So it's it's nice to be on the flip side of that coin for once. Feels good. Cookie gives us another quality start. Six innings, six hits, one run, one earned, four Ks, one walk. I mean, it's not like going to win any awards per se, but like that's a pretty solid quality start. Uh, Brooks Raley gives us uh, an inning and a third. He does give up two hits, but he strikes out three. Adovino with a back-to-back -back appearance, two-thirds of an inning with a K, and then Robertson gets his 10th save of the season with two Ks. Did give up a hit. I think it was a little eh, wild at first, but then settled down and and uh, secured the dub. We go into game three. Thursday, June 1st. We went 4-2. We had less, we had two less hits. We committed an error. We went 4-2. You know, got off to a bit of a rocky start. You know, doesn't looking too hot as a day game. I completely forgot to tune in <laughs> to the day game because it's like, you know, I'm in work mode, dude. And when I get in work mode, I'm laser focused. And then uh, before you know it, it's like, uh, and the Mets win 4-2. And you're like, ah, oh, shit. Just completely missed that. Uh, Pete Alonzo, 0 for 3. Three left on base, two strikeouts. Not his best effort. Vogie, DH, also two left on base. Uh, Jeff McNeil, one for four with an RBI. But the big story again, Mark Hanna. One for two, two ribbies, a run scored, and a walk. Our Phillies killer comes through for us again. But more importantly, Max Scherzer advances to five and two in the year. Seven innings pitch, five hits, two runs, one earned, nine Ks, one walk. Vintage, as they say, Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer. Taiwan Walker. Not more importantly, but it's a nice little, nice little bonus to the win. Ty Walker gets the loss. We've gone against uh, a lot of former Mets pitchers this year, and it hasn't really gone in our favor a lot of the time. So it's nice to beat a former Mets pitcher. Then Drew Smith getting his second save, uh, pitched a third of an inning to notch his second save. Brooks Raley, two thirds of an inning, one hit, two Ks. Jeff Brigham. An inning of scoreless ball with a strikeout. So we'll focus on Max Scherzer here. May 3rd, his ERA goes up to almost over five and a half. He have six earned runs to the Tigers in three and a third. And there were some grumblings and mumblings and bumblings about how like he's got this injury and he's still he's working through it. And it's similar to the injury he had in 2019 with the Nationals and it lingered and bothered him all season. I'm thinking to myself, this guy's cooked, right? And then in the four starts since then, a 1.08 ERA, uh, 3 0 record. We're 4 0 in the games he starts, a 0 0.80 whip, 28 strikeouts, which is 10.1 over 9 uh, rate. And then uh, his ERA has dropped to 3.21. So would love to 
have that be the case every time he goes and takes the bump. I don't think that's going to be the case. I, I, if I, if I can, my crystal ball clears up here. Yep. Uh, I can see that he's probably got another stint or two on the IL <laughs> over the course of 2023. But if we can get him down below four ERA, he can get us six innings a start. Then that's, uh, that's more than we've been getting out of a lot of our rotations. So I'll take it. And that's what we're looking for. Consistency here. I think that's what, that's the key word is consistency. We haven't been getting a lot of consistency from our starting rotation, from our bats. It seems like we, we're just, you know, literally it's the, it's, it's one step forward, one step back. You know, if it's not the pitching one game, it's the batting. If it's not the batting one game, it's the pitching. If it's not the starting rotation, it's the bullpen. If it's not the bullpen, you know, it's, we need to get all facets and gear here and working on the same page and in sync. Mark Vientos had a sack fly. Uh, he's hitting the ball real hard. I think this exit velo is like tops on the Mets roster so far this season. Um, so it, it's not a case of, uh, I mean, he's getting making solid contact. Is it just not finding grass or it's not finding the, the seats? So after that sweep, we go up to 30 and 27. We're three and a half back of Atlanta. Go a game up on the Marlins. We're now like four and a half up on the Phillies, and life is good, right? Likely playoff scenario. We're going to face the D-backs, who are on an absolute friggin' tear, who were tied with the Dodgers after uh, as of uh, June 1st. And the Mets starters in that Phillies series, 20 innings pitched, 3-0, ERA, 0.7 whip, 22 strikeouts. So they answered the bell, right? We called them out and we said the pitchers have to do better after that Colorado series, and they did. And the Mets bullpen, which has been not so great in May, I'll say that, really, really outdid themselves in the Phillies series. Seven innings pitched, three saves, zero ERA, 0.86 whip, 11 Ks. So... You know, if the Mets starters and bullpen pitch like they did against Colorado and a lot of other series that we've seen so far, we're probably not going to win that series. We probably we may even get swept. But I think what uh, we can't forget with Philly is that they have injuries, right? Al Bowman went on the IL with a hamstring strain, hamstring strain. Say that ten times fast. I dare you. And he had been filling in for Reese Hoskins, who went down with ACL tear. There's talk about moving Bryce Harper over to first, and now they they got a Roger Clemens kid, Cody, starting over there. Was kind of hoping that someone would throw at Cody Clemens just because we never really got to bean Roger Clemens. You know, that was his name, Sean Estes, the Mets pitcher way back in 2002, missed him, through behind him. It's like, so we got to get revenge. You got to bean Cody Clemens at some point. Uh, on Friday, game one against the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays coming to town. So technically in last they were in last place in the AL East, but they still had a winning record. The AL East is a beast. Every team in that division is just so good. And so I think people see last place and they think, oh, the Blue Jays must be trash. They're so horrible. They're like, they'd be either in second or first place in like a couple of divisions, just not the AL East. And, you know, we when we did our preview and we looked at the rankings, uh, the Blue Jays had. It's like they have some star power on offense. Vladdy, Guerrero, Matt Chapman, Whit Merrifield. You know, they have uh, a lot of good uh, position players and their pitching is not too shabby. So we go out game one Friday night. 
we got uh what is it verlander versus bassett and uh yeah bassett not the bassett that we saw last in flushing when he gave up uh was it three earned runs in four innings or something like that in the wild card game against the padres this go around he goes seven and two thirds zero earned runs three hits eight k's 81 game score uh verlander drops to two and three on the year he does give us six innings Five hits, one run, one run, one earned, eight Ks, three walks. I think in a lot of games that's a win. But the uh like we said, it's like the bats have kind of uh gone cold since they've come down from the mo- the mountains of of Denver. So uh, you know, in this game, Nimmo strikes out twice, leaves two on base. Lindor strikes out tight twice, leaves two on base. Brett Beatty le- strikes out three times. Uh, Viento strikes out twice. Um, you know, it's just no one really, no one really getting too much of uh good wood on, uh, on Chris Bassett. So, you know, I mean, before in the preview, we talked about, would you rather have Chris Bassett or Kodai Senga? I said, I think I would still go with Kodai Senga. Turns out now I've re- I've learned that Bassett was actually pretty good for the clubhouse and a pretty good clubhouse glue guy. Didn't really know that. So, you know, with Kodai Senga, I don't know that he's going to be like a glue guy in the clubhouse. I don't think there are a lot of great stories about Kodai, you know, and that's simply, I think it's more of a language barrier thing at this point. But, you know, I, it, you can't pay everyone. And if he didn't have that last th- two or three outings that he did in 2022, it would have been interesting. It would have been like, why wouldn't we pay this guy? You know, if he comes out and wins that wild card game, if he comes out, even if he had the wild card game he did and his last two starts weren't so poor, even then maybe you think about signing him again. I don't know. So uh, it's a loss. I just don't think it's it's not this devastating blow. I mean, I think it's right now it's the the, the feeling is a little bit heightened because of the where we are right now in the season, 60 games in, we're still 500. Uh, I think if we're five games, 10 games above 500, we're not really talking about as much. I think if we were five or games, five or 10 games below 500, people would be crucifying the move. But we're at 500 and it's like, all right, he got the best of us. Um, and, you know, we'll see how the rest of the, the, the season unfolds. I mean, for everyone who got sad that DeGrom signed with the rangers i mean degrom just went on the 60 day il or was transferred the 60 day il so he's like can you imagine if he we re-signed him to that mega frigging contract and he's done for two months <laughs> oh god so you gotta take the good with the bad um you know game two on saturday was the mets hall of fame induction gary cohen gets inducted howie rose inducted my guy Hojo, Howard Johnson, Mr. 3030 gets inducted. I've told the story way too many times for anyone who's listened to the pod. Uh, I probably when I was 11 or 12 wrote a letter to Nintendo. And I was like, you need to make Howard Johnson's 3030 Club video game. <laughs> and I can only imagine the fucking look of sheer dumbfoundedness by the head of Nintendo at like who's Howard Johnson <laughs> but you know he was one of the few players to do it I think they had a list it was a very short list like uh 
players with multiple 30-30 seasons. It's like Barry Bonds, Bobby Bonds, Howard Johnson, and one more dude. Not a lot of people have done it too often. And Hojo is one of those guys. And, you know, maybe not the best defensively. He kind of started off at shortstop, moved to third, and ended up in center field. But offensively um, was a threat. So I, I, I love the dude growing up. And he was, he was probably, it's crazy, it's crazy to say, but might be my favorite Mets player. I know, bonkers. So how do we honor these Mets Hall of Fame inductees? Well, we lose two to one. So, you know, Nimmo's kind of back on track two for five, but he does K twice and leave three on base. Lindor, again, three strikeouts, three left on base. Uh, Brett Beatty, three strikeouts, three left on base. Marte, three left on base. I mean, uh, I don't know if this is the game or the Sunday game, but we're just leaving way too many runners in scoring position. Uh, Tyler McGill, I had some concerns about him coming to that start because he had been, his last two starts were pretty brutal. And he comes in and goes five and a third, five hits, one run, one earned, five Ks, five walks is really the killer there. I think if he doesn't have, if he has one or two walks, then uh, you're looking at we're in a much better position, but he does have the five walks um, and he surrenders. uh, He um, surrenders the one run, which is not bad on five walks. He gets out of a couple jams, which is great to see. Brooks really two thirds of an inning, one hit, uh, no runs allowed. Ottavino was great. One and two third, one hit, one K. It was just Robertson. You know, uncharacteristic of David Robertson, I think, uh, you know, after such a hot start and his first, I don't know how many outings, but it looks like uh, he's maybe hit a wall there because he gave up three hits in addition to three Ks and then uh, the big hit to Vladdy that won the game. You know, just got under Brett Beatty's glove. So McGill, for as rocky as it's been, He's been pretty solid at home. 27 to third. Innings pitched 3-1 and 5 start 3 and 1 and 5 starts 3.29 ERA, 1.23 whip, 18 Ks and opponents are hitting 213 against him. So at home, he's doing his thing. It's just kind of on the road is where uh he he gets derailed. So, ah, oh, Vlad Guerrero. I know Buck's getting kind of skewered for pitching to him in that spot. You know, Robertson was kind of playing with fire in the 8th and then he got burned in the ninth. You know, and now there's talk. There was a Twitter poll about, you know, is Buck Showalter on the hot seat? And I'm just, and it, I was like, oh, automatic no for me, dog. And then they re- review the results. They reveal the results, and it's like 60 some odd percent think he's on the hot seat. Uh. What a joke. No way. No way. I don't buy into that. He's not even, he's not even, a, a, he's got one full season under his belt. Not even a half of a season in the books for 2023, and he's on the hot seat? I would say, I I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I kind of have a longer leash than most, especially when it comes to some, like a veteran manager like Buck Showalter, who has proven himself for so long. And yeah, he hasn't won the big one, but um, I would say, I, I, I don't think he's anywhere close to the hot seat. It's like... You know, he pretty much could do no wrong last season. And, and we were start. I think a lot of Mets fans are starting to wake up and realize, oh, last season was kind of an irregularity. You know, it's like everything was kind of working out and hitting on all gears and uh, an anomaly of sorts. But then we saw how it ended. 
And, you know, I was listening to what we got to believe today, the pod from Barcelona sports Mets pod. And they were talking about, well, like, uh, you know, at this point last year, the Braves were like right around 500 or less than 500. And then they, they go on and the, and the Phillies, I mean, we've already talked at length about where the Phillies were and then they end up strong. So it's, it's like, that's what I have to keep. I'm going to keep saying it. I'm totally fine with us playing 500 ball for 75% of the season. We're 60 games into 160. <laughs> it's so fucking long, dude. Like we just started June. I think the trade deadline is going to be huge. I don't know that we're going to make a huge splashy move, but if we could make uh, you know, a move or two, we're in good position. You know, knock on wood, no one gets hurt, no big major injuries. Um, you know, it's okay if guys go in the 10 day for a little bit here or there, you know, you got your bumps and your bruises, you know, you want to rest some guys. That's fine. I'm fine. And I know like people are thinking I'm the I'm the friggin' dog in the in the fire holding the coffee mug saying I'm fine or it's fine. I know, and I'm fine with that. <laughs> I'm the I'm literally the dog with the coffee mug and the hat in the room on fire. It's fine. Game three, Sunday, we lose six four. Tommy Fam. Nimmo gets the gets to rest. Fam goes two for four with two runs and two RBIs. Uh I Really amazing day for Fam, and he's kind of come back to life, right? He had a little, had a little bit of the doldrums there for a little bit, and now he's uh, looks like he's he's pumping he's pumping some kind of life into the into the lineup. Defensively, not so much. Why he's in center field, I don't know. That's kind of it's kind of scary to think that like is he the better option in center than maybe a Marte? Although there's now talk about Marte possibly being injured which I wouldn't rule out. Something about his call. Canna's not facing the Phillies, so he goes 0 for 3. Lindor, 1 for 4, 3 strikeouts. And I think that's what is setting off a lot of alarms for Mets fans is like, he's just striking out way, way too much. Like, he already had a lot of strikeouts coming into this series and just the, the inability to put the ball in play. You know, I think it's one thing if his average is his average and he's just not getting, not finding the hole, he's not finding, you know, the ball's just not finding its way safely into the field. But, and it's a, it's just like the argument with Vogie. You know, the criticism on Vogie is like, you got to swing, dude. It's great that you have a lot of walks, but you're just not swinging. And then with Lador, it's like, you're not making contact. You're getting badly fooled on a lot of pitches. And uh, even Alonzo, Pete went, has gone cold. So it's, you know, I mean, the offense runs through Alonzo, Lindor, McNeil, Nimmo. So Nimmo's out of the lineup. Fam comes in and does a pretty decent job offensively in, in his stead. But then Lindor and Alonzo go cold. Although he was, Pete was one for four with a runner in RBI. Uh, Escobar strikes out twice, so for four. Marte does go two for four with a ribby and a run. McNeil 0 for four. Alvarez 0 for three. Good to see Vientos with a with a hit. You know, but I think the big story from this game, Kodai Senga. So we talked about how we think he turned a corner against the Phillies. 
seven innings, no walks, nine Ks. And then here he goes, two and two thirds, four hits, four runs, three earned, three Ks, five walks. And that's the big one, five walks. I mean, you know, the other shit sucks, right? You know, four runs, three earned runs, only three Ks and two, and, I mean, three Ks and two and two thirds, not too bad. It's the five walks. Just cannot find the strike zone. And I mean, everyone had beef with that umpire. I mean, you know, the Toronto manager got tossed because, I mean, this umpire is calling clock violations left and right. So it sucks and it's going to happen in a big, big game. It's happening now. It's kind of, people are taking notice. You know, Max Max is commenting on it and saying how much it sucks and and uh, but it, I think it's starting to get on people's nerves a little bit more than it was at the beginning of the season. Uh, and I, I, it's if it, it can you I just cannot imagine it being the deciding factor in like a World Series Game Seven. Like, can you imagine a walk off like a walk off? in game seven of the world series because of a clock violation. And I tell you the one clock violation that I saw against Bo Bouchette, it's like, how set do you have to be? It's like he was getting set as eight turns to seven. And it's like, you, he wasn't going to, it's not like he was going to fuck around in the box for another three, four seconds or another eight seconds. You can see he's, he's starting the motion to get his bat up and look at the pitcher. I don't know, dude. I'm 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 not against the pitch clock, but it just seems like we're getting super ticky tack with it. I was expect I was like, it's just like in the NFL, a new rule happens, and in the preseason they're going to enforce the fuck out of it because they want to make sure the players and the coaches take it seriously. And in spring training, I thought that you know the pitch clock they were super strict on the pitch clock because they want pitchers and coaches managers to know, hey, we're taking this shit seriously and you should too. But then you get in the regular season and you start to see them lose. Normally, you would start to see them loosen up a little bit and be like, and give them a little bit, like a half a second to a second leeway. And uh, some some umpires are not, are just not not playing it loosey goosey. So, um, you know, saying it with a rough start. Nagosa comes in though, and gives us three nice innings, quality innings, only a hit, four strikeouts, one walk, and then Dominic Leon gets the loss, inning and a third, two hits, two runs, two earned. Um, True Smith and Jeff Brigham finish it out pretty strong, but yeah, you know, it sucks. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, you know, honestly, you don't want to get swept, duh. But like, if you're going to get swept, this is not too bad. And I know that it sounds delusional and like, how can you put a spin zone on this sweep? It was pretty ugly. It's like, it could have been a lot uglier, I think, with the way that we, we pitched, <laughs> And the way that we played. Uh, but I still think the best is yet to come, man. The best is yet to come. I really do. You know, I, I only think, you know, if they can continue to play 500 ball, I'm telling you, continue to just play 500 ball and let them, guys are going to figure it out. I really do think so. I just can't see, I can't see this a situation where we, end up worse than where we were in 2021. So Pete Alonso had a, a bit of a cold snap, cold streak, but he did break the record for most home runs by a Met at City Field. 72 home runs in one, two, three. I mean, it's not even four full seasons, right? It's not even three 
Oh yeah, it is three full seasons. So it's not five full seasons. It's like three and a some change, four and some change. But he uh, he just he, he he beat out Lucas Duda, who had seventy one, Alonzo now seventy two, Michael Conforto sixty six, David Wright forty nine, Curtis Granison forty. So we got that going for him through sixty games, and this is this is what I want to highlight the most here through sixty games. So it's important to take a look at the context, right? Let's put this in context. Like it feels like the world is on fire, right? And the stars are falling out of the sky. Planets are colliding. I get it. It's a black hole on the horizon. I get it. But through 60 games in 2023, we're 30 and 30. I that's not clear. 258 runs scored, 270 runs allowed. We're giving up the long ball at a horrific pace, the most in the majors. In 2022, we were 39-21. We'd scored 306 runs and we allowed 238, okay? So in terms of run differential, yeah, that's a big difference. In terms of record, we're nine games off the pace. Now, if you take a look over that 60-game span, there are probably nine games that you think to yourself, well, the 2022 team would have won those games. They would have come back. They would have had a come-from-behind victory. You know, the ball would have bounced their way. They would have things would have gone in their favor. I'm sure if you look at the first 60 games in 2022, there are probably nine games where you think they could have potentially lost that. So that's one way to spin zone it. In 2021, we were 35 and 25. We'd scored 233 runs, but we only allowed 211. So again, that's a case of, well, the pitching was there. The bats just weren't. 2020, which was the the, uh, COVID-shortened season where we only played 60 games, we finished 26 and 34, 286 runs uh, scored and 308 runs allowed. That's when we had friggin' Michael Waka and Rick Porcello as like our starting pitchers. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was a problem. That was an issue. Uh, luckily, our pitching is not as poor as it was in 2020, nor is it as poor, as bad as it's been, it hasn't been as poor as it was in 2019 when we started 28 and 32, scoring 273 runs and allowing 300 runs. I can go back through 2018, 2017, 2016, 2015, if you want. 2015, we went to the World Series and won, no big deal. 31 and 29. Hmm. One, we're one win off that pace. And that, again, low scoring season. 2016, another low scoring season. We had 34 and 26. We actually had a better record after 60 games in 2016 than we did in 2015, even though we scored less runs. You know, 27, 2018. Man, six games below 500 in each of those seasons. So I, you know, 60 games. I, I think people are saying it's it's not that small a sample size, but unlike 2020, we're still in the playoff one. <laughs> you know, 2020 is like, well, uh, so that's it. Okay, we didn't make the playoffs. Wow, 60 games. And we thought Dom Smith was the next Barry Bonds. <laughs> uh, so I'm. I'm still in the firmly entrenched in my position and my stance that it's uh I mean I would not count out the Phillies. I mean you, you know the Phillies might have looked like hot garbage against us you know when we swept them but it's like 
stranger things have happened and things they get hot at the right time. You think Miami is going to be playing at this clip for the whole season? You know, uh, crazy. The Braves had the best record in baseball. They've been five and five in their last ten. We've been five and five in our last ten. You know, Dodgers have been four and six in their last ten, and they they're finally tied with the the Diamondbacks, who are six and four in their last ten. So it's like, uh, you know, you win some, you lose some. But it, this is the most volatile of weeks in Mets baseball when you can sweep and get swept. You know, I think I was, you know, for sure riding high, you know, after that Phillies series because I thought coming off the Rockies series, you're thinking, oh, boy, like maybe maybe we don't have it. The fact that we just cannot beat the friggin' Rockies who are almost <laughs> 10 games under 500 in nine and a half out of first. He just, it's just, I don't know what the Rockies, what kind of like voodoo doll they got going on in their, their dugout, but they have our number, you know, the Padres. I mean, you think about, you know, and payroll, I think that's a huge part of this, right? Is like, and you've probably been shouting that for the past five, 10 minutes is like, but our payroll, but our payroll, but our payroll. And it's like, yeah, it's just the, that's the price. It's the price like of New York sports. Shit just costs more here. Believe me. I've lived in the area for so friggin' long. Everything just costs so much more, including players and coaches and managers and everything and uh, everything and anything under the sun. This is not Milwaukee. Okay. We just we just pay top dollar because that's what the, the market is in New York. And we just weren't used to that with the Wilpons, where it's like we should have been the top payroll, but we weren't because XYZ. Or we had a high payroll, but we're paying like guys that for sure are over the hill and don't deserve it. Again, reserving judgment on Verlander and Scherzer because I think they've shown me enough so far to kind of quell my fears a little bit. Um, but, you know, you look at our season stats, and I don't know that they've dramatically improved from the last time we looked at our season stats. You know, we're still below average in pretty much almost every category except defense we just don't commit errors which is great we lead the league and the we have the fewest errors in the league but everything else we're in the 20th i think home runs right that was an issue for us and then we went home run goddamn crazy or i think it was like 15 straight games with the home run which was a club record i want to say franchise record i don't know about franchise record but it seems like that the 15 straight games of the home run is a lot still like to see more stolen bases we're just we're not having we're you know under eight hits per game. Slugging percentage is twentieth. So even though we are hitting more home runs, it's like where are the doubles, where are the triples, where are the doubles, where are the triples. Seems like the only guy hitting triples is Nemo. And I mean McNeil, I feel like and Marte and Canna were doubles machines last year. They're not hitting doubles this year. A lot of singles. Vogie is just not. He's just walking. So. Daniel Vogelback had a pretty rough May. I think he hit under 200, like 170 something for the month of May. So, large reason why they brought up Vientos. Those numbers have to improve. But you look at those numbers, and if I told you those numbers, would you have guessed we're 500, 30 and 30 after 60? No. You'd be like, oh, we got to be at least five, 10 games under 500 with those kind of statistics. But, I say this to you because I had someone comment on my last uh, 
video about Lindor and how about the, the comments about Lindor not being a leader and how the Mets lack leadership and point and pointing to that as the reason why we're in the funk that we are. And it's like, well, we did bring in Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander as leadership, but understandably they are the leadership for the pitching staff. No, most notably the starting rotation. They don't really hang in the bullpen. David Robertson is a veteran, older guy. Bring him in along with Adovino, and that duo brings a form of leadership to the bullpen. That being said, the bullpen outside of maybe Rayleigh, Adovino, Robertson has been shaky. Drew Smith is a flip of the coin. Uh, it's, maybe you could say Jeff Brigham has been okay. I think his ERA is a little under four, which isn't great, but it's better than most of the other guys we got trotting out there. So I'd say, you know, as we have our, uh, if we can kind of hover around 500 entering the trade deadline and then make a move for a bullpen arm, uh, I know we just signed, we just traded for a bullpen arm. It's not a guy that's probably going to make an immediate impact, but this guy, uh, Vinny Natoli, a uh, right-handed reliever from the Cubs. Uh, he was in limbo after opting out of his minor league contract and will go on the Mets 40-man roster, but can be optioned. Uh, I don't, there's, it's not known what we gave up for him to the Cubs, but in 22 thirds innings in the AAA Iowa, he's posted a 3.48 ARA, not exactly uh, a panty dropper, but who knows? Fresh new location, change of location can do a man good. So maybe Vinny Totoli can come in and, and make a difference. Um, but odds are it's not going to be like move the needle that much. And then who we got coming up? We got the the Bravos, the Braves in Atlanta. Um, I think we're bracing for impact right now, right? This is going to be a situation where uh, it's a three-game set, so it's like let's avoid the sweep if we can. That'd be fantastic. And then we got the Pirates, and it's like, you know, I don't know that the Pirates aren't exactly the Pirates that uh, were winning people over earlier on in the season. You know, they kind of – righted the ship a little bit they're at 31 27 half a game back of the brewers six and four in their last 10 and they've won five straight so kind of a buzzsaw coming our way after atlanta but uh maybe it's similar to what the rays that rays series where it's like rays were one of the hottest teams in baseball and then we face them and we take two or three we uh take two or three so baseball is friggin weird dude Super weird. And then we got the Yankees, the Cardinals, Astros. So, I mean, like, you know, you win one, you lose one, you win one, you lose one. You know, I just, let's try not to get swept back to back. That'd be fantastic. Uh, I guess see what the matchups are. Hmm. Oh, let's take a look here. So we got Cookie going against Bryce Elder. Oh, boy. And as much as I... Uh, I'm a fan of Carlos Carrasco's renaissance, rejuvenation of Carlos Carrasco. <sighs> He's going. We're, 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 our bats are going up against a guy who's 3-0 with a sub-2 ERA and 56 strikeouts. Yikes. So I'd have to pencil in a loss there. Mad Max goes up against Charlie Morton, who gives us fits a lot of the times. He's 5-6 and six already, which is kind of nuts. Um, leads me to believe that he goes deep into games. 3.62 ERA, 72 strikeouts. Woof. 
Then we got Verlander against Spencer Strider. Uh, Strider again, another another pretty good option for the for the Braves. Six and two, two point nine seven ERA, one hundred and thirteen strikeouts. Ugh. And then uh, no word yet on who's going to start in Pittsburgh. But uh, woo, road trip time. Yikes, road trip time. And then we have the two games set against the Yankees. So by the time mid-June rolls around and we and we host the Cardinals, yeah, it could it could get ugly pretty quick. <laughs> it could get very ugly. I'm not gonna lie. But uh, you know, I don't see Lindor slumping for much longer. I don't see Alonzo slumping for much longer. You know, uh I I don't know that Marte is really gonna turn things around to the level that he where he was playing in 2022 maybe canna starts to be starts to play a little bit more a little bit better a little bit more um you know i don't know that you know brett Beatty's cooled off uh mark vientos never really took off and francisco alvarez has, has cooled off so tomas nito was dfa to make room for omar Navias. so that's a little bit of a i mean it sucks for nito not gonna lie but he was officially like the worst hitter in our lineup in our on our roster. And then Omar Narvaez was, you know, not exactly lighting the leaderboards up, but was one of our actually <laughs> when you look at it, and it was a small sample size, but one of our better hitters. So uh maybe he provides a more consistent spark. You know, not exactly the fireworks that we have with Francisco Alvarez, but you know, a more steady presence that can at least uh you know, move guys over, you know, I think that's been the, a big difference too for the Mets from 2023 to 2022 is like in 2022, we, it seemed like we always scored a run in the first, you know, we always just get that lead to, to, we establish the lead first, we get the lead first. And it just feels like that was, uh, that was got us on the right path and, uh, led us to victory more times than not. And we haven't really done that in 2023. We just get behind a lot. We're playing from behind a lot. And so people want to blame, place the blame on this or that. You know, I saw a video from someone I follow on Twitter saying, it's not the pitching, it's the batting. And it's like, you can't, you can't make a blanket statement like that. One game, it is the pitching. One game, it is the, the batting. Another game, it's the fielding. Another game, it's the bullpen. Like it's, you can't, there, there's not like one glaring problem area. I think it's from game to game. It just kind of happens, you know? I wouldn't say the offense uh, struggled in that third game. You know, I'd like to see us do better against Jose Barrios, but, uh, you know, I we'll figure it out. We got a lot of time, a lot of game left, a lot of season left. And it's not, it's not pitching or batting. It's just, let's find a rhythm. Let's get in a rhythm. Let's stay there. Let's get find some consistency. That's what it is. Day in and out, day in, day out consistency. You know, I, I hate that uh Lindor or Alonzo might feel this added pressure because the rest of the lineup is kind of letting them down, right? I I I I would hope that's not the mindset when they step into the batter's box. Like, oh, I gotta win this. It's up to me to win this. And I doubt it, it is. But they they might be subconsciously pressing more than they need to be because they understand that they're not getting the kind of support that they did last year. 
you can't tell me that. I mean, everyone is playing below what they played. Everyone, not everyone, but like the guys that, I mean, it truly is a team sport, dude. <laughs> it really is. You know, uh, Marte probably hurt playing through injury. Canna, not the same as he was last year. Uh, you know, Eduardo Escobar, obviously better in a part-time role-playing pinch-hitting position. Platooning with Beatty. And McNeil, just not slugging the ball. Getting these nice singles, slapping the ball here and there. But, my God, doubles. Two doubles is a run. Two singles is a guy in first and second. Uh, you hate to oversimplify things like that, but it's got to slug the ball. And it doesn't always have to be home runs. Let's get some more doubles. Hits the gap. So nice to see Vogie get a double on Sunday. Like, where has that been? Where is it? Where has I mean, McNeil, they were pointing out today, like McNeil's slugging percentage is lower than his on base percentage. You know, we just have guys that the OPS for us is just really bad. You know, Marte's below 700, I think. Like Lindor's hovering around 700. Like I think Alonzo's our highest at eight something. So. What what has been frustrating is in 2022, guy gets a single, steals second, is moved over to third, sack fly, it's a run. In 2023, guy gets a single, steals second, uh, strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. <laughs> you know, it's just like, do you also have to do the simple things like just don't strike out, and that's what we're talking about. Like put the ball in play, the little things, move the guy over. You're just not seeing that in this in this season. Like the, you know, it's it it sounds so simple, but it's harder to, to put into practice. And I think that's been the major difference between 2022 and 2023. Pitching aside, right? I still think that uh, we've seen. I think we've seen the worst of the worst from the starting rotation, the bullpen. I really do. I mean, you're going to see bad games here and there, but I don't think it's going to be as bad as it's been in the first 60. You can already see that guys are starting to settle in and settle down. I think it's the it's the bat the offense that just needs to uh, s- simplify things. See ball, hit ball, put it in play. I think Mets. I think Mets fans would rather see us get like no hit and put the ball and have zero strikeouts and put the ball in play. <laughs> Than striking out nine, ten times a game and coming up with a run. It's just like it's just frustrating seeing all these guys. Some guys not taking hacks at all. Some guys just missing by so much. You know, and I, I think that's what is so concerning for a lot of fans is like you shouldn't be striking out this much this far into the season, I don't think. Like one through nine striking out this much. Um, or one through eight, one through seven. So put the ball in play. See the ball, hit the ball. Just like the pitchers, remember, you know, we're talking about the pitchers, like find the strike zone, you know, and I I know McGill was getting squeezed a lot over in that series against the Blue Jays, which was rough. I mean, the umpire sucked um, and that's going to happen from time to time, but like find the strike zone again, strikeouts are cool and they're sexy, but if you can just get a guy to hit it into play, we have a pretty decent defense. Let, let them do their thing. Whew. But fire Buck, what are you nuts? Yes, he's made some questionable moves this year, more so than he did last year. 
But I still believe in them. I still believe in this team. And that's the Mets. Let's talk about the Giants. As I stated in the intro, we can officially close the book on DeAndre Hopkins going to the Giants. I never saw that as a possibility. And it's crazy that anyone entertained it. But again, fan is short for fanatic. So we tend to go a little overboard sometimes and crazy. And I think that's what happened with DeAndre Hopkins. 31 years old, 6,000 yard plus seasons, five-time All-Pro, something like that. I get it. But that was like beginning of his career, early in his career. I uh, And yeah, he had a pretty decent season in, a, in only nine games last year. So I'm like almost 70 catches for 700 and some odd yards. I get it. But that's not the way we're trending, right? He wants an, a contract, and this is when the Giants bowed out when they heard this nonsense. He wants a contract similar to OBJ's, the one that uh, Odell Beckham Jr. signed with the Ravens in April, which was one year $13 to $15 million with incentives, I think. And at that point, you know, the Giants are so strapped with salary cap. It's like, we're not trying to go, we're not trying to, uh, you know, start a Kickstarter at this point. <laughs> you know, there's no Patreon. There's no GoFundMe for the New York Giants. So, uh, yeah, the Giants bowed out. And I think it's it makes sense. I mean, the, the, I mean, the sacrifices and compromises that they would have had to make to bring this guy in who may or may not kind of disrupt the chi the feng shui of this team, right? I mean, you know, did he did he really end his tenure in Houston that favorably, that positively? I don't know. Did he really, like, he goes to Arizona, that ends kind of poorly. So it's like, you know, when it ends poorly that many times, and I know you can always point to Randy Moss and say, well, Randy Moss, you know, didn't work out in Oakland, didn't work out here. He goes to New England and they go to the Super Bowl and he sets records. I get it. Sometimes it's a, ma- it's a matter of right, place right time i just don't think the giants are the right place in my time for deandre hopkins cowboys also bowed out and so now it's i guess it's down at the bills and the chiefs which it's like the rich just get richer what the f dude the bills and the chiefs okay cool uh but it'll be interesting to see how he plays this year i still think he can be a contributor i just don't know that he's going to be the kind of guy like he is he a wide receiver one on the bills or the chiefs maybe the chiefs and uh you know everyone's saying well we gotta get a wide receiver one we gotta get a wide receiver one i just say nah no thanks i don't think so i really don't uh you know it's listen i think we got spoiled by odell beckham jr (laughs) speaking of obj that's the dude that spoiled us that made us think that we have to have a wide receiver one and maybe you could point to Plaxco and say, well, remember when he was the wide receiver one, what kind of difference maker he was. And when we didn't have him, like our playoff dreams, Super Bowl dreams in 2008 went to shit. Okay. All right. I get it. But there have been plenty of other occasions where uh, we didn't have a clear defined wide receiver one and we were able to succeed and, and play well and do well. So um, I think, uh, and that's been... You know, that's been a major reason why a lot of people are counting us out this year and counted us out last year is because we don't have a wide receiver one. We are in a much better spot. Our wide receiver room is in a much better place than it was last year. Much better. 10 times, 1,000 times better than it was last year. So uh, I still think, you know, and you could look at like, we got a tight end one. You know, Daniel Bollinger is great. Love the guy. He is the perfect 
best tight end two. And then we got a tight end one. And then we have uh, a bunch of wide receivers who each game could potentially be the wide receiver one. There's a game where Slayton could go off for, you know, six catches, 100 yards and a touchdown. There's a game where Hodgins could go seven catches, 80 yards, two touchdowns. There's a game where maybe Hyatt goes off. There's a game where Paris Campbell has a game. There's a game where Wondell Brown. The fact that we have all these weapons, you know, the idea that you have to have a wide receiver one, I don't know, man. It's like, you know, I hate to use the Vikings, keep using the Vikings as an example, but like Justin Jefferson's a wide receiver one. You take him away and like Adam Thielen wasn't doing anything and Hawkinson, they were trying to rely on Hawkinson. And even then, despite him going off, they weren't able to win. And you could point to their defense. I get it. But uh, I still, you know, and I I remember we talked about this before, the friggin' Chiefs, man, like. Do they have a definitive wide receiver one or there's a bunch of like really good wide receiver twos? <laughs> it's like, I'll take, I'd rather have three good wide receiver twos than a wide receiver, than a definitive wide receiver number one. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll be eating those words halfway through the season, but I am in no way, shape or form going to like shit my britches over losing out on DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, Leslie Frazier, he said that the Bills announced that Frazier would not return as their assistant head coach slash defensive coordinator in February and that he intended to take a year away from football, but he has been visiting with the Giants. I guess he visited either this Monday or last Monday and it's going to go extend into Tuesday. Hard to say what that means. Would be kind of sick. I mean, if he is really going to stick to that whole take a year away from football, I get it. You know, go rest up, go get your head right. But at the same time, my God, what a fucking coaching staff we would have if Frazier comes on as like the assistant defense. I, I don't even know what the title would be. I'm not a titles guy. But if we bring him into the defensive fold, dude, with Wink calling the shots and they get Frazier in there, we have one of the best coaching staffs in the league. And that was a major reason why we won as many games as we did last year. Yeah, you could say luck. You could say lady luck. She's a hot bitch. I get it. But I also think it was because, and pe- others have cited this, that we outcoached a lot of these other teams. So what a difference a coaching staff makes. Huge in the NFL. So to have a, a really top mind like Leslie Frazier in the fold, in the mix, working with Wink, could be pretty sweet. The other the other possibility here is I don't, I'm not entirely sure what Wink Martindale's contract is like. And it's like, I'm so happy he's back with us, but it's like he... Is he still, is he looking to vamos? Is he looking to exit stage left after the 2023 season? And maybe this is, maybe Wink has said, hey, you know, don't don't leak this. Don't let it get out. But I'm thinking about retiring after this season. Or I'm thinking about going somewhere else. Or I'm thinking about going for the head coaching position in 2024. And the Giants are like, we're going to get ahead of this and we're not going to wait. Let's bring Frazier in and say, hey, what do you think? Wink said he's he's going to leave. What do you think about taking over this defense in 2024? Either way, I got nothing but good vibes about that uh, news item. Here's a news item that makes me kind of Debbie Downer. The one player on the Giants team who uh, is the most likely trade candidate in 2023, and it is, drum roll, Saquon Barkley. 
So we've kind of briefly touched on this in past episodes, and my thought process is the Giants, what would have to happen for that trade to happen, right? Because in my eyes, Saquon Barkley was a massive reason the Giants made the playoffs last year. And I think if he's out of the lineup for all 17 of those frigging games last year, and I know Daniel Jones was able to come through with a drive here or there, touchdown drive without Barkley on the field, I don't there I just don't see us winning many games without Barkley in the backfield. So I do think he's a playmaker, a difference maker, a guy that uh, you know, you could say he's lost his touch. That's fine, dude. He was a superhero in 2018, leaping tall players in a single bound. And he does things that are not human. They're metahuman. If you're a DC Comics fan, DCEU, no longer in existence. He doesn't fumble the ball. Threat out of the backfield to catch the ball and run with it. In running routes, I mean, that one, you know, thank God that they opened up the playbook for Saquon Barkley in 2022 because I no longer have to reference like the one passing play that I liked from like three, four years ago. But you can see what happens when you line him up as a receiver, dude. It's like he's a, you know, you have to take him seriously. He's not just out there to kind of jog five yards and do an in or an out. Um, He's a threat. So uh, what would have to happen for that trade to happen? I would have to say that the team is winning and in a position to make a run, and Barkley's not the reason, not a major reason. So maybe he gets hurt a couple games. They win without him when he gets hurt. Uh, maybe he is just average, which I cannot fathom that he's average in any regard in 2023. Uh, the other reason might be he's just a stinker, which I don't see either, where he just causes such a, a friggin' ruckus in the clubhouse in terms of being quote unquote cancer, where he's such a negative influence in the clubhouse despite our winning ways. Or we completely completely the wheels fall off and we just completely tank right trade deadline is like november-ish first or second week in november it would have to take a colossal fail on our part where it's like it's all coming undone and we're like two and six one and seven i think even at three and five there's got it. There's probably a good sense in the building. You know, it it depends. But I would say even at three and five, I wouldn't. I don't think I would deal them. It would have to be like a two and six, one and seven, zero oh and eight, that kind of situation where it's like, all right, we have we're, and, and we're getting blown out. You know, we're not losing by a field goal or a score. We're getting we're losing by plus seven, plus eight, ten, seven, eight to ten points or more per game. You know, the point differential is huge. Uh, Barkley's been, you know, fairly unproductive, you know, or even if he is productive, you know, I I think that's got to be the trade scenario is like, because you're hoping that you get something in return. Like you don't want to give him up for like a six rounder. So like the, I guess the quote unquote dream scenario for Barkley to get traded is he's playing really well, but the team is not. And the team is like, has no shot of going to the playoffs. And then uh, he gets traded. But 
I can't see like if we're three and five, four and four, five and three, and he's producing and playing well, and he's a big reason why you would trade him. And you just kind of cross your fingers and hope that the combination of Matt Breida and Eric Gray and maybe Garrett Brightwell or the, the trio, they're going to lead you to the promised land. I don't know. So, especially when you have the tag option, which I still don't believe, but you have the tag option in 2024. Like if he plays under the tag this year and then he can play under the tag next year, it's like, why not just ride that into the sunset? When you have one of the, like, I just can't see Barkley being the kind of guy that's like, yeah, I'll sit out, I'll sit out the entire year. I mean, I just don't see that from him. He just is such, I feel like he's such a competitor and wants to win and wants to, I mean, you're going to, you're telling me you're Saquon Barkley and you've endured all this bullshit for this long and you're just going to like hang it up because I don't know, but I'm not Saquon Barkley. Not by friggin' long shot, dude. So I say uh, that's not going to happen. I really don't. But this regime has surprised me. <laughs> I mean, the fact I I would have never guessed in a million years that Kenny Galladay would play like two snaps over the course of a 17 game season or something like that. Like the fact that he would have like a catch over 17 games, like I would have never thought that. Not in a million years. And they just went ahead and did it. And it's like, and it was just like, wow, they really did it. They did not give a fuck about that contract. So uh, I will give them that, that, you know, and maybe that's, I guess that's the other scenario is like Barkley's great. He's given us a lot of great years. He's an outstanding running back, like exceptional receiving threat out of the backfield. Amazing clubhouse guy, just, uh, just all around awesome dude. But fuck man, we really need, uh, blank whether it be a starting guard an edge rusher another safety or corner i don't i don't know that what's the what's the biggest need that we would have to have to give up on barkley i I honestly don't know unless it's like we're in full-on tank mode oh boy gonna be tough being jalen hyatt a little bit but i believe in the guy and here's why he just is like catching strays, ricochets, and direct shots from all kinds of anonymous sources. An anonymous NFL exec says he's squirrely and naive. An anonymous coach said that he's got some arrogance to him, and he's like, I've got all the answers. And it's just like, I don't know. I kind of feel like you would want a little bit of that. Like, the naivete, he's a friggin' rookie, dude. Okay? Like, you got to think that a lot of players are naive heading into the the National Football League. So I don't, I, that's like I brush that off. Squirrely is said here, is, is, is said to, like that's said with a negative connotation, right? That was meant to be have a negative connotation. I kind of look at Squirrely and I'm like, whoa, kind of like a wild card type of dude. You don't, he's unpredictable and like he's all over the place. Like you just, and as a quarterback, maybe that will give you, nightmares and, and it'll make you clutch double clutch and second guess but i i think i kind of dig that he's squirrely you know because he's got a lot of energy and excitement it's just like if you can just hone that and focus that in uh it could be a, an asset um and the arrogance thing um you know it's a fine line between confidence cockiness arrogance right 
And I think uh, it just just takes good old fashioned punch the face, right? To realize, okay, you know, and and that's I don't think that's going to happen in OTAs. Maybe it happens in uh, training camp. Maybe it happens in preseason. But over the course of 2023, I honestly think that Jalen Hyatt, that arrogance is going to transform into confidence. And that squirreliness is going to get somewhat wrangled in, reeled in, and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be, um, I don't know what you'd call it, agility, uh, change of direction. Like I think that if you can harness that, it's a positive thing. And Ivy Tay, I mean, he's you know he's young. He's got plenty. Of, he's gonna learn. I mean, like you look at Evan Neal, Kevin Thibodeau from last year. I'm sure there was some Ivy Tay going into the season. You know, uh, I'm sure you know a lot of people were saying, you know, some similar things about Thibodeau and how he came comes off as cocky or arrogant. And it's like, did he have an all pro season, no, but like you could see his progression through the season. I mean, especially coming off the injury, like as soon as as, as he got healthier and healthier, and then got more confidence, like that Washington game, Jesus Christ. So, yeah, I just it's 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 all fuel for the fire, right? All this, like we've seen, it's making for an incredible story if you think about it. Like the fact that. Uh, his arrogance was recorded on video at a a pro day or a scouting combine with the Cowboys wide receiver saying like, you can't run roots. And he's like, well, watch me, I can do it. And like going from that and having these anonymous people, these sources come out and say, well, this and this and that, and this is why he dropped to the third round, blah, blah, blah. When everyone was projecting first round for a long time. I think it's all, it's all adding up to something really special. Uh, another rookie, Eric Gray, has been named an immediate impact day three draft sleeper by the Athletic. Um, he was the and we got him in the round five. So we got we got draft steals all over the goddamn place in this draft. I mean, it's 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 in, it's insane the value that we got. And uh, people are and why is he an immediate impact sleeper? Well, because he has the wiggle to be a big time weapon in the pass game and on the perimeter as a runner. And put both and uh, the, the the beauty of this is if uh, Barkley doesn't do anything rash and makes it onto the field in 2023, you can have Gray and Barkley both backs on the field together and create matchup problems all over the place, which is what I was hoping they would do last season. We talked about it almost every week with my God, when Brita and Barkley are both on the field, good things happen. So why not do that more often? And I think that's what your Joe Shane and Brian Dable have been doing in the draft and in free agency is like, we're going to get a lot of good guys that can do a lot of good things. And it's going to, and we're going to have so many, it's going to be like a friggin' Denny's menu, dude, like a diner menu, the, the, the playbook that we have, like the options that we have, we don't have to stick to one formation and we can get really, really creative. And Mike Kafka, I mean, he must be, just like <laughs> he must be celebrating hard because he's got a lot of he's got a lot of great tools to play with. So looking forward to see what we got in Eric Gray. I think that's going to be interesting. Pia uh, Pro Football Focus lists Giants Bobby Okereke as a Tier Five linebacker, uh-huh. ranking him twenty third 
that tier five highlights talented players, the ones who can be inconsistent, which, okay, I can understand that looking at his, his short four-year, five-year career so far. He's always been a top pass defender, and he uh, he took a big leap in run defense with a career-high 78.5 grade last year. He'll turn 27 next month. Tenth in total tackles, five passes defended, two forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, six tackles for loss. And I think we are going, I think Wink is going to unlock something in him because he is very excited to blitz more in Wink's blitz heavy scheme uh, and is looking forward to eliminating thinking, which uh, is, is cool. Is like, you just let him be an athlete. Just go after the quarterback, go after the, go after the ball. Um, so it, I mean, I, you don't want to overstate it. You don't want to get too excited, right? Ooh, it's tantalizing, right? To to see his kind of potential and know that um, we might be getting him at the the prime of his career, like the next four years, three to five years, like we could be looking at uh, Antonio Pierce two point right? And uh, we all know how that turned out. So, Whew, man, very excited for Bobby Okereke, and uh, I I think that. I don't want to jinx anything, knock on wood, but I smell Pro Bowl. I don't know about all pro just yet. I think he's going to be an all pro snub, but I'm smelling a Pro Bowl. Uh, NFL futures picks, playoff odds and predictions for the New York Giants. So the Giants are currently a plus 140 to make the playoffs, which, I mean, good God, y'all. Feel free. You have my seal of approval, Neil's seal of approval. I'm I'm fine with this. You can stop the pod and go and bet that right now or pause the pod and come back. That's fine too. But plus 140 to make the playoffs. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I'm going to put a bunch of money on that. And then plus 600 to win the NFC East. Yeah, whatever. And then 50 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Uh, last June, the Giants were plus 700 to win the NFC East, coming off a 4-13 and 13 record with a first-time head coach. So plus 600 to win the East is... Little bizarre, but then again, you know, the Eagles did what they did, and then you know, you still have those rascally Cowboys. So I don't know. I don't know if I would do the plus six hundred to win the AFC East. I mean, you might as well throw a little bit of cash that way. That's fine. And fifty one to super win the Super Bowl. I why not put a little something something on that? But plus one forty to make the playoffs is almost an insult. All right, now we get to the meat and potatoes, the Giants section of this here pod. Daniel Jones, his contract incentives have been revealed. First, I want to state that uh, there was a news item that Boomer Esiason expects Giants, uh, Daniel Jones to have a rough year because of uh, the list of receiving targets. And to Boomer Esiason, I say, how dare you? I've never really liked Boomer Esiason's takes. I'm not, I can't say that I don't like Boomer Esiason. Although I don't, I don't really care for him. I'm, I know he's a good dude, probably, but I just, I'm a Phil Simms guy. Always have been. Boomer's not a big Giants fan. He dislikes the Giants severely. His co-host, Gio, is a Vikings fan. I I stopped listening to Boomer and Gio a long time ago because all they do is shit on Giants and Giants fans. So it's like, why put myself through that? You're the friggin' him of the Giants, quote unquote. But yet, uh, you wouldn't know it by listening to those two. And for him to say that he's going to have a rough year because of the list of receiving targets, I don't buy that. Now, rough year, hmm, tough year, yeah. 
he's going to have a tough year. I mean, we have a tough schedule. It's tougher than last year. But uh, to say that his supporting casts is the reason why he's going to have a tough year. I don't, I don't see that because the, we've made such humongous strides over last season. I mean, I, I said that at the beginning of this section, like Paris Campbell, Wandale Robinson, Darius Slayton, Isaiah Hodgins, Jamison Crowder, Jalen Hyatt, Darren Waller. Like those are, we have a lot of upgrades and, and, you know, beyond the, the core that we had last year. Yeah, we had games where the wide receivers disappeared last season against some of the better defenses, better better uh, secondary units. But you got to figure that if, if, and it's a big if, obviously, this unit can stay healthy, there's a lot of options out there. You know, and uh, and like I said, I think Kafka, he must be frothing at the mouth thinking about all the, like, it's like he's he might be hyperventilating right now. We need to check on him because he's he's he like you need to think about how like the possibilities are endless. So boomer, uh rough year. I mean, I don't know that you can have a rougher year than what Daniel Jones from a statistics standpoint went through last year. I mean, he gutted through a lot of victories. It wasn't like you know, and that's the major reason why everyone criticized the contract is because like what the I mean yeah Daniel Jones took a step up, you know managed to survive the season and play all seventeen games or sixteen and seventeen he would have played seventeen if they hadn't locked up a playoff position, a spot. So in that regard, you know the staying healthy check, and like reduced turnovers check, and, but you know again fifteen passing touchdowns everyone was like you gave this guy one hundred sixty million and, he, and Russell Wilson who stunk out loud through more touchdown pass yeah okay yeah yeah because that's right same thing. So, uh, I think last year was proved to a lot of people that he does have the ability to win games and doesn't have to rely on a lot of other people. Yes, Saquon was a major factor. But, um, I mean, you look at the wide receivers he was winning with last year. For a lot of those games, um, it, wasn't, it was like, you know, not a lot of help. So um, it'll be tough this year, but I still think he can outdo what he did last year, which is not saying a lot. I mean, like I said... You know, in this day and age, throwing for 3,200 passing yards in 16 games, it's like that's, you know, what, 200 some odd yards of passing a, a, a game, which in 1986 would be average. <laughs> but in uh, 2023, a bit of a different story. So I just feel like the offense is going to take a humongous step forward. And that's saying something because I think we took a huge step forward last year over the previous year. Maybe not so much 2018, 2019, because I think there were, you know, we we put on a show in some of those games, but certainly over 2020 and 2021. So, Boomer, you're wrong. So, the contract incentives for Daniel Jones have been revealed, and I thought I would just do run it down the list here a little bit, because it's kind of interesting, you know? Touchdown passes, right? We just talking about touchdown passes. He only had 15 last year, and everyone's like creaming their shorts because it's like, how do you give a guy that much money who doesn't throw touchdown passes? It's like, well, all right. 
maybe because he's running the ball and running for touchdowns, maybe because our running game was significantly improved over the previous season. We could run for touchdowns. Anyway, if Daniel Jones throws more than 19 touch 19 or more touchdown passes, and this is the this is the the cool part of these incentives that I kind of dig is uh they gave like options because who knows how the NFL turns out next year. It maybe it's a it's like it's a passing league, but maybe all of a sudden like defenses have figured out how to how to defend in the red zone and like touchdown passes go away. Maybe, I don't know. If he has 19 or more touchdown passes or finishes in the top 15 of the league in touchdown passes, he has 250K. 25 or more touchdown passes or finishes in the top 10 of the league in touchdown passes, 375K. And then it's weird that he also gets 375K if he throws for 31 uh, or more touchdown passes or finishes in the top five of the league. So that's potentially, you're looking at, it's a five. And then it's another eight. And it's like almost a, what, a million dollars, something like that. If he throws for uh, 31 plus in his top five. Now, I don't know that I see him doing that. Would be pretty sweet. But I could see him. I think most people have him in between 19 and 25 touchdown passes in that 10 to 15 range. You know, uh, as of right now, early June 2023. But goddamn. I'm telling you something right now. If he throws for 25 or more touchdown passes, uh, we're we're making the friggin' playoffs, dude. <laughs> we have to. We absolutely have to. And uh, we'll probably uh, make some waves in the playoffs. You heard it here first. Passing yards. So, again, it was like, what, 3,200 last year without – I mean, he pretty much was willing us to victory a lot of times with his legs, right? So not a lot of passing yards last year, but if he passes for 3,300 or more passing yards or ranks in the top 15 in the NFL in yards passing, it's 250K. And then 375K each if he throws for 3,800 more or more passing yards and is in the top 10 or 4,500 passing yards and in the top five. <sighs> Again, I don't know if I can see Daniel Jones throwing for 4,500 passing yards. And being in the top five, but uh, dude, I'll take. I mean, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not that hard to please. I would take if he's in between thirty three hundred and thirty eight hundred passing yards, like in that ten to fifteen range. I know that a lot of fans would probably be upset with that because it's like we're paying for him to be the top ten quarterback. I get it, man. But if you're if you're winning. Like, I get it. If we're losing and he puts up those numbers where he's throwing like in between 19 and 25 passing touchdowns and in between 3,300 and 3,800 passing yards and uh, we're losing, you have you have a right to, to, to grumble, okay? You have a right to be uh, a little peeved. But if we're winning, I'll take it. It comes down to what it came down last year. Controlling the ball, not turning it over, making smart decisions, moving the ball any way possible, any which way but loose. Total touchdowns, and this is passing, rushing, and receiving. <laughs> I love that they put receiving into that. That is hilarious. And maybe a nice little indicator of what we could expect. A couple more throws his way in 2023. 24 plus total touchdowns. 
250K and then 375, 375K each for 26 plus touchdowns or 34 plus touchdowns. I mean, is it that outrageous to think that he could throw for 24 and run for 10? Yes, that's outrageous. <laughs> well, how many did, how many rushing touchdowns did he have last year, though? Seven. So uh, 10 doesn't seem like that nuts. I tell you what, 25 passing touchdowns which is less than two a game. I mean, it's not like anything nuts, but it just feels like in this <laughs> historically. I mean, someone was saying, I mean, we go back to 2019. I forget how many he had in 2019. I think he had 24 or something like that in 2019. So he's done it before in the NFL. Um, but I think that's, we'll love to see him to get to that 20 mark. I, I, I would agree. If he has less than 20 passing touchdowns again in 2023, that's a bummer. So I'd like to see him get above 20. Well, you know, I think 25 or more, that 26 uh, passing touchdowns, that feels reasonable. 34 is like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't even imagine. Like, I don't know why it's it's so hard for me to grasp and wrap my head around, but 34 just feels so out of reach. But uh, 26 would be pretty sweet. And then another 7 to 10. Rushing touchdowns, mm, that's hot. Total yards, uh, thirty seven hundred more would be top or top fifteen with two fifty two hundred fifty k and then three hundred seventy five k each for forty three four thousand three hundred seventy five total yards or four forty seven hundred total yards, top ten or top five in the NFL. So, brother, I'll tell you this much: if my man is Throwing for more than forty five hundred passing yards, and and if he's all told, if he's totaling more than forty seven hundred yards, is in the top five in total yards. That contract is gonna look like a freaking steal, dude. But you know, I mean, I, I don't know what would have to happen. <laughs> a lot of stuff would have to go our way for that to happen because it's uh, it seems like it's it just seems. It seems like it's we're still a ways away from those kind of numbers out of Daniel Jones. Got to be honest, not going to lie. But it does feel like that he's at least going to hit that first incentive, right? Across most of these, he's going to hit that 250K incentive that kicks in. Like he's going to throw more than 19 touchdowns, right? He's going to throw for more than 3,300 passing yards. He's going to have more than 24 total touchdowns. More than 3,700 total yards. So that 250K incentive feels, it feels like within reach. It feels realistic. And uh, I think uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility to hit that second tier, the first of the 375K incentives of the three. Um, Playtime and playoffs is the next couple ones. Playtime. 65% of the offensive snaps and the team makes the playoffs, 500K. 65% of the offensive snaps feels like, uh, I mean, again, don't want to jinx anything. feels like a shoe-in. That's like almost a guarantee. Team makes the playoffs, plus 140. Hammer down on the plus 140 team makes the playoffs. So that seems like a cool half a mil in his pocket. 65% of the offensive snaps and the team wins the division, $750,000. Okay. 
65% of the offensive snaps in a playoff game, or the team has a bye and player played 65% of snaps in a regular season, a million dollars. I love incentives, dude. I wish I, I know it's like players are probably not too happy about incentives, but the performance incentives, I feel like uh, I, I love those. I know the guaranteed money is where it's at. I get it. But like, as just as a fan reading these, it's just like, it's gotta, it's gotta be a little bit motivational, not playoffs. The giants win two playoff games and the player participates in 65% of snaps in each playoff game, or the team has a playoff buy and wins a playoff game. And the player plays 65% of snaps in the regular season and 65% of snaps in the playoff game. $1.25 million. Team, and this is the one that's kind of nuts. I I guess it's not that nuts. Team wins the Super Bowl and the player plays 65% of snaps in the Super Bowl. He gets $1.5 million. Is it me or does that feel low? I feel like of all the incentives, winning the fucking Super Bowl and playing in most of the snaps, that feels like that should be higher. Carly Ray Jepsen, dude, call me crazy, but like, I feel like I would have tried to negotiate that to be a little bit higher. Like, dude, if we win the Super Bowl, I'm friggin' we're going shrieking. <laughs> so that's uh, Daniel Jones' contract incentives. There are some news and notes from OTAs, some observations that uh, I can go over. Again, like I mentioned in the intro, I don't know that it's like make or break or that you should read too much into these, but they are, they're just, they tickle your fancy a little bit, right? They're kind of interesting. Darren Waller has already been kind of uh, what, not what we expected, but like, I don't know. There's been positive feedback. I'll say that. It seems like it's not like one of the situations where, I mean, I hate to bring up Kenny Galladay freaking again, but it's like, you know, it feels like most of the reports about Galladay were like not getting separation, dropping passes, like not looking like he's over the hip injury, you know, so like, to, it's encouraging to to hear these and read these stories and reports about Darren Waller continuing to stand out. Darius Slayton said, somebody asks what an NFL tight end is, you just point to Darren Waller, big, fast, and can catch it. It's like, dude, I, I love Darius Slayton. I'm so happy he's on the team. I know that he has drops here and there. I know, dude. I say this every time, but I I, I just like him as a person. And I like what he brings to the team. You can see that he has the ability to make some big plays. I just like to see more consistency and as many drops. That's it. Waller has been moved all over the formation this spring. He's been aligned wide frequently. And it's already clear that matching up with Waller is going to put stress on defenses, which is Muzak to thine ears. Like, uh, I, when was the last time that we've put fear or stress on defenses. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's like maybe there was like some little indications of it in 2019 or maybe in 2018. I want to say like when you had our full arsenal of weapons on the field, it was like, well, look at this unit. But then it's just like someone would get hurt. And it was just like, it never lasted long. <laughs> There have been so many t- stats and graphics like like this like this this squad 
you know, this uh, offensive lineup has only been on the field total together like 10 snaps <laughs> or five snaps out of the year. It's like uh, we're in week 12, dude. Um, but so that's that's good to hear that. And and that's you. You heard it with when we were going over Eric Gray. And you hear it now in Darren Waller creating mass uh, mismatches, right? Favorable matchups. Waller split out wide. Barkley spit out wide. Eric Gray's in the backfield. Bellinger's, you know, it's just like it's it, the possible. Like I said, the the variety, the flexibility, the versatility that we can put out there and display to defenses. DC's got to be getting agita thinking about that shit, dude. Dory Jackson has described Nick McLeod as a Swiss Army knife. Uh, he's primarily McLeod was primarily primarily using outside cornerback. Played in the slot, took snaps at safety last season. He's getting uh, some reps at deep safety so far in the spring, next to Xavier McKinney, but was also in the box during the dime in the in the dime package, which was a role that was filled mostly by safety Tony Jefferson in sub packages last season. Interesting to hear because uh, a lot. I mean, I think a lot of people would have described Julian Love as a Swiss Army knife for most of for pretty much all of his career. Um, even though he wasn't, he was like mysteriously not used for like a season or two under Joe Judge. Weird. And then um, signs a contract with Seattle, but it sounds like it's Julian Love light for Nick McLeod, which was interesting because I don't think I would have had that in my bingo card for 2023, seeing how uh, he just mostly filled in a corner in 2022, as far as my memory serves. So. Dude, I'll take it. I love, like, we're talking about the versatility in offense. To have that kind of versatility in Wink's defense is even better. You know, it, it sucks when you hear, like, oh, this guy's just a slot corner. And we have five slot corners competing to be a slot corner. It's like, how do I get on the field? You know, we talked about that with the undrafted uh, free agents that we signed. Like, a lot of the, a lot of the backstory on those guys was, like, Here's how you can get on the field. Switch positions. <laughs> so like, you know, you don't, I guess you don't see that. You don't really don't see that a lot at the professional level, but um, yeah, that could be an, uh, keep an eye on Nick McLeod, very underrated player who could be a nice contributor. I mean, he was a pretty decent contributor last season. I remember him filling in for a Dory when he went down, um, especially against, I think it was against the Packers or maybe when Fabian Moreau went down. So uh, that's just, that's just it's a feel good story, and then uh, Paris Campbell demonstrating early chemistry with Daniel Jones. He's got shiftiness, which is a trait that fits well with the option routes featured in the Giants' offense. Could be a more dynamic version of Richie James, who, as we all know, Daniel Jones leaned on maybe a little too much here and there, especially on third down situations, clutch situations. So to have a guy that's like a step maybe above Richie James or uh, Richie James plus um, is A-OK -okay in my book. A valuable underneath target to keep the chains moving. I mean, you sold me. I'm sold. Take all my money. Uh, Cordell Flott endured some rough moments in coverage getting after getting bumped up to the first team slot corner position. Got beat by Khalil Pim Pimpleton on a long touchdown pass. Uh, but Pimpleton also beat... Darn Darnay Holmes with a quick slant route to catch a two-point conversion from Tarod Ty Taylor. Khalil Pimpleton, a name that 
I don't know. Maybe he's a guy. Like that's another wide. I mean, like our wide receiver room is overfloweth with with dudes, and that's uh, uh, the more competition, the better. It's a numbers game at this point. You know what I said? It's like let's just throw a bunch of dudes at the wall and see who sticks. First round corner, uh, Deontay Book Banks was the was with the first team defense after running with the second unit last week, and has had um, has shined for the most part. So, uh, I mean, I, I honestly would be shocked if he's not the day one starter and he's already, he's already got, you know, he's got the energy up, you know, I think he brings a certain energy to the field that, uh, it just makes people want to play harder, faster, stronger, better. And that's, uh, it's, it's all good in the hood. So I'm very excited to see him strap it up. And, you know, I, like I said in the previous episode, there's going to be, there's going to be some bad moments mixed in for sure. But I think there's going to be more good than bad. And it'll only get better. Second round pick, John Michael Schmitz remained the first team center during install periods. Brent Bredersen also took her upset center, but he rotated with Josh Azudu at first team left guard. So that's going to be. Probably the most interesting position battle. I know we talked about position battles last week, but I would think Zudu versus Bredesen is going to be the one that's, um, you know, and it's, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if they, they do what they did last year and rotate, you know, depending on the situation, I guess. Third round pick Jalen Hyatt has, hasn't seen many reps with the first team offense. And I'm completely fine with that. Given everything we know about Jalen Hyatt, limited root tree, uh, facing off coverage, softer coverage, uh, and a lot of his opponents in college, you know, I'm okay with like, just kind of, you know, helping him along here and there, taking it slow, letting him learn. Uh, you know, I, if he's not starting week one, like, is anyone going to be that pissed? You know, I think it's going to be, you're going to see him, um, do his best work. I think in the second half of the season. Market, market, dude, market zero, dude. Uh, Colin Johnson, who <laughs> again is like, there's always a guy in in camp who the media loves to latch on to and and make it turn it into a Cinderella story. I get it, you know, you need clicks or whatever. And Colin Johnson is like, has been the guy over the past few years where it's like, oh. Watch out for this guy. <laughs> and like maybe he does light it up in preseason. And then it's just like, what? And then nothing. Like what? He tore his Achilles last summer, so I get it. But he caught eight of uh, Terod Taylor's 14 completions uh, on one of the days. And, uh, you know, would be nice to have another big body kind of uh, in the mix. But I'm not going to put mm, much stock you know, I'm not, I'm not buying long or whatever stockbrokers would say about Colin Johnson. You know, I think it's just, it's like a nice insurance policy, I guess. Maybe if Hodgins is, you know, God forbid, God forbid. And then uh, rookie corner, Trey Hawkins was bumped up to the second team defense, played good coverage on a double move by uh, David Sills, who bounced back from a rib injury to force an incompletion from Taylor. So you know, again, it's the OTAs, dude. It's like, I don't know, it's seven on seven drills. It's not like anything too crazy, but uh, I don't know. 
you know? You like hearing good things about the rookies. You like hearing good things about uh, Banks and Schmitz and Hyatt. And, you know, I think uh, it's, it's, we don't want to overreact to like, I just feel like we did that a lot last year where it's like, you gotta make that throw. And it's like, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. It doesn't matter. Like, uh, understandably, yeah, you got to make that throw. But, like, do you? It's fucking not even preseason. <laughs> like, so let's just uh, pump the brakes. So, but uh, that's, I mean, encouraged, you know? And it sounds like, it does, there doesn't sound like dissension or, you know, this one's pissed at this one and this one's mad at this one. And I don't know, maybe it'll change when the pads come on and it gets more heated. But, you know, you're not, you're not seeing a lot of uh, negativity coming out of camp. So that's the Giants. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. And uh, we'll talk to you next week, next episode.